regardless of the tyres of the teamwork or just the two points he was able to get from the race, Boy George done well. Let's get started. Sebastian Vettel's got it to Max Verstappen and under braking, Leclerc has got into the barriers at the penultimate turn. Perez ahead of Stroll, ahead of Ricardo behind. Oh, it's a tight finish. It's a photo finish. Adding another championship to his collection. It's Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. <laughs> yeah, Thank if you're you. not a fan of George Russell, it's probably not the right podcast to listen to. No, probably not. With number yeah. one <laughs> fan sitting, uh, sitting somewhere, Liv Perry. Hello. <laughs> So let's start off this episode by talking about the newbies of this race. Uh, Pietro Fittipaldi, who is replacing Roman Grosjean, qualified in 20th, finished in 20th. Jack Aitken, who replaced George Russell for this race, uh, qualified in 18th and was able to beat Kimi Raikkonen, a man 16 years older than him, and was able to finish uh, in 16th place as well. But the big elephant in the room, George Russell, was able to qualify in second place on Saturday. Mr. Saturday was just 26 thousandths of a second off Valtteri Bottas. However, when it came to the race, it all horribly fell apart. And he was only able to finish in ninth with two points to his name. Guys, what do we make of that entire race, specifically looking at George Russell and the woes that afflicted him? Sorry, you want a summary of the entire race? Yes, this next 50 minutes is going to be on the entire race. Like, of course, a, a I mean, hundred words, I'll be timing, off you go. So I, you know, I, was, I was cooking duck at the time when we were when we were recording it. And um, I love my duck, I must admit, it's very, very good. But I wasn't watching because I was doing the duck. And Sophie, who's <laughs> the other side of the kitchen watching the Formula 1, just goes... Oh my god! So um, I dropped my duck and ran over, and I just watched what was I don't know a, a, a dumpster fire just get larger and larger, and then every time something went wrong, it just went it was you know even more wrong. It was a comedy of errors, if you'd like. And last time I seen Mercedes this bad was when Netflix was filming them uh, in in Germany in two thousand and eighteen. So it was a it's pretty dramatic, Tom. That's how to sum it up. Pretty dramatic, and my heart was in my mouth the entire ending. If you haven't seen the Formula One race, and you're like, oh, I'll just listen to this podcast to catch up on it, we cannot do it justice. You have to go watch and then come back. I was the exact same as you, Tristan. Well, not like the exact same, but I was in a situation where... No, (laughs) I was cooking um, chicken. I was cooking stuffed chicken with with mozzarella. Anyway, I I was cooking, and I was like popping in and out, and then... My, my grandpa came around for dinner and we were like, we'll just pause when it gets to a good point to go and have dinner. And we were watching and I was, I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I'm witnessing him. He's in the lead. And then, uh, of course, the lovely, lovely pit stop happened, um, which was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen watching Formula 1. And, and it's, I saw on the something posted today that when the FIA gave out their fine to Mercedes, um, they said this was an incident we've never seen in the history of the sport. It was so weird. I uh, honestly, I, I couldn't believe it when it happened. And and that radio message came through to George and said, "You've got, we've put the wrong tires on. You're gonna have to come back in." And honestly, my heart like sunk for him, and I'm sure everyone in like the whole world <laughs> who was supporting him felt the same. I could not believe 
because like, I could not believe it. And then my parents were like, well, I think you should pause for dinner now. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I literally sat in dinner, miserable, miserable. And we, we, had, we were just eating. And, so, and then my dad was like, so we have pudding. And I was just sat there like absolutely like drowning in my sorrows, like snapping at everyone, being like, let me just get back to the to the race and then so we've been on pause this whole time so i was a bit behind the group chat so i hadn't i turned on mute actually in case you guys spoiled it um Ouch. which you would have done if i if i'd looked because because <laughs> obviously you were reacting to as it was happening and um and then obviously i pressed play again and and i i couldn't believe what i was witnessing when he obviously came back out i think it was like fifth or something like that from the from the multiple pit stops that were caught that happened from the drama and he came back and he made his way slowly up and up and up past Bottas past everyone I and I, I was getting closer and closer to Perez and I honestly thought I was witnessing like a, such a significant moment in the sport and I was just sat there like I was so nervous my mum my, my said my leg was like shaking against the sofa like jiggling I was so nervous I couldn't believe what I was witnessing and thought this is too good to be true. I just can't believe it's happening. And then obviously, it was too good. Uh, to be we know what we know what happened with the puncture, but it, it just felt for me like it. Oh, like no one, no one else got a puncture. You know, it had to be him after all of that. And I just felt for him so much. But um, on a side note, obviously Tommy did mention the other drivers. Um, yeah, Pietro did a um, brilliant job, and obviously Jack was, a, was impressed me hugely actually in a in a Williams. In his first time in a Williams, but put those two things together, you don't expect a lot. Um, and you know, out of the two Williamses, he was the one that finished. Yes, it wasn't Nicholas's fault; it was like oil leak or something. But at the end of the day, he was the one that finished. He did have his little <laughs> incident that caused the yellow flag that then put George in the pits. However, I've actually seen quite a lot of people apparently have been sending Jack hate for that, which is so unfair. There's absolutely nothing that he did yeah, wrong. It wasn't his Mercedes, fault. Mercedes put the wrong Mercedes are fully him. to blame. Yeah, I, Mercedes literally are meant to be the best team in the world they've won god knows how many titles and they, they the fact that they messed this up on this debt like i'm absolutely fuming but anyway no one blame jack i think he did so well and i i hope like we get to see more of him because i think he surprised people because like oh, he's not super up there in the standings in f2 so when he appeared and when he did that performance like not nothing too not too many errors and got it round which nicholas unfortunately didn't manage to do like good on him i'm really impressed why do you think mercedes did make the mistake this time then what was it? Apparently, um, it, it was, was radios. It, it, it was the radios. They had the basically yeah. um, bon, uh, Pete Bonington, who's uh, Hamilton's race engineer, was obviously race engineering for George Russell. Like makes a call to the the mechanics, say right, get these tires out, and apparently it just failed. Like it just it just didn't go through to oh. the, like the chief mechanic, and that's why they brought out. So in the end. When, on uh, Russell's car, they put two of his tires and two of Bottas's tires. Yeah, and then, uh, then they were like, "Oh crap, we haven't got any like sets left for Valtteri." So what they did is they put on twenty-five lap hard tires on Val on Bottas's car, which is it, why he was so slow. It was at his the same end. tires. They took his own tires off mm. and then put them back on again. Yeah, basically, which was a monumental but, waste of time. <laughs> yeah, and then and then and then they realised, of course, because Russell had mixed. Uh, tires on which of course is um like penalty worthy or or usually um so they i guess i reckon they were kind of lucky in the end they got a fine but um uh that's that's the reason why they were like right we've got to get him back in as soon as possible because otherwise he, he's like he's breaking the rules running those tires um so he has three he yeah had three laps to and so um before a serious infraction would have been given to mercedes so that's why he only got the that's why mercedes only really got the twenty thousand euro fine and they let russell keep yeah. his position was because 
they brought him back in in three within three laps but in doing that i think one of the things that we have to remember about this particular race is usually a, a pit stop is pretty devastating it's you know 25 30 seconds out of a, a lap that takes you know just, you know, a minute and a half or so to go around but because this the lap times were about 56 seconds it's half a lap mm. yeah that's the, that's the cost of it yeah four pit stops as well compared to two just sums up how devastating that is really that's about a lap well for yeah and and but that shows you really how far ahead mercedes were i mean i i I remember during the race it was pointed out by the commentators that mercedes were predicting to lap every single car plus like eight again so Mm. people it was 26 it was like 20 yeah so or plus six and so but you know multiple cars more than once so i just and then of course paris went Ah, <laughs> so uh, which, we'll, which we'll come on to, but I just I cannot believe it's just poor, poor showing and bad luck for Russell yet again. What is it about this this boy? He cannot get a lucky break, and I don't think Hamilton could have done better, even in the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you're right. I'm oh, sorry, go on. You, you, you say well. To be fair, you say he hasn't got a lucky break. I mean, his lucky break was that Lewis Hamilton got coronavirus. To be fair, but I get your point in that in in the races he hasn't had like like a massive amount of luck. And I, I I'll agree with with you guys what you said already. Like he did an, an unbelievable job for. Mm. I mean, I mean he's had two years in Formula One nearly, but to get jump into a car which he hasn't driven all year, and also lest we forget, he's what five inches I think taller than Lewis Hamilton. So the seat which was designed for Lewis, he had to fit into that seat. Um, also, the, so the seat as well is going to be slightly too small, or slightly too small for Russell. Also, the fact that um, he had to to be able to use the pedals had to so George Russell's size eleven feet, and he had to use um, a boot which was a size smaller, just so he could like fit in the car. Um, so to do to do what he did this weekend with all that, he nailed the start. When he was out in front, it was like he led like a thousand laps as opposed to like 10 laps um like he did he did everything correct and like like we've said it was purely bad luck like it was at the end of the day ironically it was probably what was it when Aitken spun around and hit the wall it was probably debris from what was it was that front wing which caused the safety car which led to Mm -hmm. the monumental f up on the strategy and then it was um probably let's be honest debris from the front wing which then caused the puncture yeah. on Russell's car. So the irony of Williams completely <laughs> jeopardising his chances of victory. Um, but yeah, apart from that horrendous luck, he did everything right. And he, he, even when he, even when the pit stop put him back, he did that brilliant move on Bottas up the, up the, up the inside of the chicane, got past Stroll knock-on easily. He was closing in on Perez. Um, would probably have overtaken him, even if it was in the last two or three laps. So he was still, even after that, he still overcome that adversity to come back even after i mean i know it's a small thing but even after he pitted for his puncture he still came back from like 15th to what was it ninth in the end in the final five laps mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. showing that's great resolve as well um so yeah i'd say as much as he'll be absolutely gutted definitely like only positives this weekend for so George looking Russell. looking at yeah. that then what you've just said him coming back so i suppose one of the takeaways actually from the race is Although it, we would have loved him to win, perhaps actually him winning wouldn't have been as potent as what he actually did. B- 
because part of the reason why Lewis Hamilton is, is often criticised is people say, oh, well, he jumps to the Mercedes, he storms out in front, and he leads, and he wins. And to some extent, that happened for Russell. So I suppose if he won like that, people could have said, well, you know, he's good. He got past Bottas, who wasn't performing, and then he had the Mercedes speed. But because he got knocked back and then came back from way back in the pack to up to second and then got knocked back again and had to get through the pack and pass people like Vettel again, we can actually unequivocally say that it, it his own racing prowess was the reason he he actually scraped those two points. You know, coming on the radio and be like, I've got, you know, I, I loved it when he got on the radio and he was like, oh, is, uh, is Bottas using kerb? Because uh, I think I can go a bit faster if I can use the kerb like he can. Just shows that he was continuously, you know, not pushing himself too far, looking at what Bottas is doing and reacting to it and thinking, well, I'm not going to be stupid. And it was that sort of mentality of I'm, I'm going to play it safe and then, I, you know, being knocked back and then being pushed through the pack, I think actually secured his seat for Mercedes just because, as I say, if you put Hamilton in the same situation, he probably would have performed just as well if, I dare say, worse because Hamilton doesn't cope well when everything goes, you know, belly up, especially related to tyres. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right insofar that add on to that adversity that you had, the fact that Verstappen and Leclerc were both out in the first lap. If Russell had gone on to win that race comfortably and we hadn't have had the fiasco in the pit stops, um, then once again, you'd have another reason to say George Russell has won that race because he's in Lewis Hamilton's car and because his only competitor was Valtteri Bottas because third place was blown open completely. It could have gone to Sainz, could have gone to Ocon, granted he got second, Ricardo, Norris, any of the sort of mid-ranking teams. So that would have been another stick with which to beat Russell. But yeah, you're absolutely right. He ticked all the boxes. He's known for being sort of somewhat mediocre when it comes to his starts. He overtook Bottas going into the first corner. He overtook Bottas again. And as you say, he came back from fifth to second, had another setback, then from 15th to ninth. He's pretty much overtaken everybody on that track. Um, aside from a handful, uh, namely Perez, to go on um, to get some points. And the fact that he's been able to secure those points despite the adversity, as you say, really adds to the sort of character he has and his reaction of, yay, you know, I've, I've got a couple of points, but it's, it's a far cry from what I want or what I deserve in many ways. It's a testament to him because it could have been so easy easy for him to go, oh, well, I've got two points, happy days, you know, I finally got that racing point, etc., etc., or two of them, um, really ticks a lot of boxes. And, you know, it's very easy for a lot of people to say before this race, oh, George Russell's really good. But in regards to the fans, we've only seen him perform well in F2. We've never seen him being given the chance in F1. We've heard about Toto Wolff saying how, saying how great he is. Um, Alonso saying, oh, he's going to be fantastic. All of this talk but no action because he's not been given the chance because he's been in that in that very shoddy uh, Williams car. But we saw today on we saw on Sunday that all that praise and all that hype is is very much he's very much worthy of it. Really, mm. I agree. I I I knew he was good, and obviously we we've always championed him. And I sometimes felt as if I was over exaggerating when we discussed his talent and I feel quite proud that he showed us that we were right sort of thing because 
obviously a lot of people do speak about the car and yes Bottas maybe did seem to be having a bit of an off day but at the end of the day those cars are pretty much identical the two Mercedes cars and the way that he could get past Bottas and those the chances he took and the you know the parts of the track that he used to do so I, I couldn't like honestly I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing because I was just so impressed and I think the just the whole paddock everyone who was watching at home felt felt the same and I think he was so upset afterwards and I was saying to my parents but I, as long as he realizes just how like much he's changed his career today like even though he has lost that which did feel like the worst thing at the time like he's never had the opportunity to show that quite level of skill before and 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 you know me and my parents were discussing like oh could anyone do that in the Mercedes car and I think anyone could do well in a Mercedes car but and Bottas proves it a lot of the time he's a great driver but the fact that George and his first time in the car did at the end of the day perform far better than Bottas shows like what can he do if he's performing in that car every week sort of thing it's it's really interesting to see and i am um, i i saw today something from sky sports or like not sky, but it was like toto wolf was on sky sports and they said have you ever have you printed out george's contract yet and toto said i've had it printed out since he was 15 so like this like it is his destiny to be there i just i just really really hope that we can see it soon i, I asked my um my boss today what he thought because like, i thought he might have a bit more knowledge and i said like what could happen if he wanted george in the car this like next year and obviously they've they rushed toto admitted he may have rushed into signing bottas's contract um and i said what would they do and i said could they do an, an alpha towery red bull and and put the swap the drivers to a lesser team you know and because they're almost similar teams it, it would be sort of possible um i said could they put swap bottas and, and george next year and he said oh, no because of Bottas, you know, knows his worth and when in that would have been something in his in his contract that he like that's not the same thing as Red Bull. However, he said if they did they could technically get Bottas and George like to put George in the seat, but they would have to pay out um Bottas, which would mean paying his entire contract for the year ahead and also paying millions to buy George off of them. So it, it's something that they could do, but I think it would they may as well just wait a year if it's gonna cost them so much hassle and George will just be gaining more and more experience in that in the Williams and, and learning how to struggle in a way so then when he gets into the Mercedes it will be a doddle <laughs> I predict that Bottas will be at Renault in 2022 really? He'll drop down Ooh. the grid yeah and George Russell will take his George Russell will take his seat and Bottas will it, Bottas is a more than capable he showed it when he was at Williams he's a more oh, yeah. than capable driver we, let's, let's be honest it's just because he's up against arguably the best driver of all time that he's made to look mediocre but he's a very good driver so he'll still be on the grid just well, he out-qualifies hamilton yeah, he's, yeah some, so, he, he gives hamilton a run for his money at least like every weekend so he is no slouch but i reckon he'll be at renault in 2022 That's to replace prediction. ocon no way uh, uh, i'll stick Surely I'll not. <laughs> Let's let's say you'll replace Alonso because Alonso will throw a hissy fit and quit again. There we go. I don't there think Alonso's <laughs> next year is going to be what he thinks it's going to be, and then I think no. he'll leave. No, <laughs> you think he's going to be yeah. mid mid pack Alonso, which I suppose yeah. is, is that worse than back of the pack Alonso because then we don't get the memes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Do him and Jensen sunbathing. <laughs> anyway, sorry. They were better times. So let's talk about Valtteri Bottas then. Is he surplus to requirements in the long term? Because granted, as we say, it didn't go all his way and it wasn't all his fault by any stretch of the imagination. But being beaten by someone who, as we say, is sitting in a Mercedes car and racing it for the first 
time, as well as Esteban Ocon, a former Mercedes Academy driver. Being beaten by both those, Stroll, Perez, it's not a great look, is it? And when you consider that Russell basically had him for lunch on his first outing, <laughs> does Bottas have a future at the top teams? I would say he... It's, it's a tricky one, because there are... Admittedly, yes, he did get beaten by a guy who's just jumped in the car for the first time. Um, there are mitigating factors to his position in that Mercedes gave him the wrong tyres. Um, admittedly, he didn't put up much of a, def- a defence in the final laps, but he was on very old tyres, so I think we have to remember that. Um, I'd say it's a difficult one. It depends what Mercedes want. If Mercedes want a reliable number two who can help them win the Constructors' Championship, especially if, for example, next year... Um, Sergio Perez gets that Red Bull seat and Red and Red Bull end up having two competitive drivers, then someone like Bottas, who can bring it home and uh, be used as part of a sort of another like another card to play in the in the Mercedes Red Bull fight, then if that's what they want him for, then I think he's he's good in that number two role. But if they're looking long term in terms of replacements replacement for Hamilton or maybe, I don't know, just, just, just thinking in the future, then I think they might move him on. I'd say for now, he's, de- he's not surplus to requirements, but in the future, I think, like, I'd, yeah, I can't see him being there long-term anymore. Um, but I'd say he's still proven himself as a capable number two, even if he himself wouldn't want that to be the case. The thing about surplus requirements, though, is, is that it's a kind of a... It's difficult because Formula 1 is a game of two halves. You have the constructors title and you have the championship and when you've only got one decent driver and the other one's lagging behind then you you get what Red Bull have had for example where you know it's basically only Max Verstappen that's got them into second you definitely cannot really win a championship a close championship with only one good driver so you've effectively got to halve the points if you get a, uh, if you get like a, a first place, then tenth place or eleventh place. So Bottas definitely isn't surplus requirements from a Mercedes point of view because from a Mercedes point of view, they look at Bottas as a a really good way to push Hamilton further, b a good way to get first or second place, and c to help look out the front of the grid and tow Hamilton or hold the other people back up. So he. he from a fan's perspective, yes, he's probably surplus requirements because no one really cares about the constructors. But from the constructors and Mercedes' point of view, Bottas is really, really darn useful. Perhaps even more useful than a driver that is as good as Hamilton. Because simply you get the problem as Hamilton versus Rosberg when both of them wanted the championship and they start taking each other out and fighting. And that just never ends well. So, no, I don't think he is surplus to requirements. But I don't think he has come into Mercedes in the right era because of Hamilton, which means he'll never win, which means from a fan's perspective, he might as well be last. I have to agree with both of you. I think he does something perfect, which is the fact he fulfills his role. Like that he he might not be what we consider as like, oh, the the best driver that 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 Mercedes could have. But for them, he is the best driver they could have because I mean, we've seen time and time again in the past what happens when you have two, you know, drivers that are of the same level, the, the conflicts. The, Bottas is the perfect person, unfortunately, because he does the right thing and say is sensible. He's he's so sensible. I don't think we give him enough credit. He, he, he doesn't tend to have 
instant like racing instant lash out you know we saw Max Verstappen kick a wall yesterday like <laughs> Bottas is someone that you can rely on and in that case he fulfills the role that Mercedes want him to do so I don't think there's any way we could I don't think anyone should say that he, he's not doing a good job because he's doing exactly what he's meant to be doing but it's just about looking into the future um as you were saying Angus that perhaps in the future that they might want to change the way they're looking at it because George has given just a hint just a sprinkle of what we could see and can you imagine Lewis and Hamilton and uh, Lewis and Hamilton, Lewis and George in the same team? Like I would absolutely love to see that the battles and and I think that as fans and as a sport, it would be cooler to have someone like George. But as you were saying, Bottas plays a role and he does it very well, so he's not done anything wrong there. Do you think that Bottas's future is dependent on Lewis Hamilton as much as it is? George Russell, i.e. if Hamilton decides to hang up his gloves um, come 2022, then Bottas's future could be continued as that secondary driver to George Russell instead of Lewis Hamilton. I feel as if you're kind of right. I feel like um, Bottas plays the right role with Lewis as the teammate. I, those The two together, and I know Lewis does have, obviously, like... I don't really know the right way to say it. Not control. He's not the boss, but he is the number one, and he not just in the, on track, but in in the garage. And I mean, um, he's the one that makes a lot of the decisions and leads the team because he's a leader. And I'd love to see him move into a leadership role, but that's a whole a whole different thing. But I think that Bottas works in that role, and whether he would work in a different role in the team, or could he be the same person for Russell in the future if Lewis doesn't like could he be Russell's number two I, I don't know but the, he unfortunately for him because it's probably not what he's wanted but he is in him and Lewis are the are the ideal combination really for Mercedes at the moment um because of the way they are and we don't know what Bottas would be like as a number two to someone else but we know that he's good with Lewis that doesn't really answer the question sorry <laughs> I don't know that's a really hard one because it sort of implies that the contracts are linked and Mercedes will only want Bottas as a subservient to Hamilton's rule. Um, and I don't think that's how Mercedes work, actually. Uh, I think if, if I don't know, let's, let's for argument's sake say that Hamilton, Covid makes Hamilton crap and he can't drive anymore. They wouldn't, I think that... <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> I think I think think they would be like, oh well, we're replacing Hamilton next year with Russell and uh, Bottas. You know, off you trot. I think they would actually pitch Bottas versus Russell because, as you highlighted earlier, the um, Bottas isn't a bad driver. I think his time is running out because of his age. I think is the most damning factor, but. Russell is good. We know this. Russell is another Lewis caliber driver. Who else on the grid is willing to step into Bottas's shoes, though? Who's willing to grow the moustache and don the beige trousers? You know, because I can't think of any driver that would go, yeah, that's that's for me. Uh, because that's why Bot Bottas is one of a kind. Like he is. I feel sorry oh, well. for him, but he truly is the ideal person yeah, because he exactly. won't. If it was Max, Max would be kicking off week in, week out. We know what he's like, but Bottas just smiles and sits there, and <laughs> I feel but, for him. But he's perfect at his job. He's perfect. Who else would do it though? Because, but and the other thing is also Bottas kind of gets to say, "I know I came second, but I came second to Lewis Hamilton, the greatest mm -hmm. driver of our generation," and. And whoever's going to be, if if Russell was like beating someone else and they had to take the Bottas role, Russell hasn't 
earned that accolade yet. And so the excuses aren't really there. So we can sit here and go, well, Bottas is great, but Lewis is just so good. We wouldn't really be able to have the same conversations. So I don't know. Who would you pick, Tom, to, to replace Bottas? Well, I was just thinking, wouldn't you say that Bottas is just an updated version of Barrichello? I.e. he's second to Schumacher, second to to Button, the bridesmaid, but never the bride. Um, and I'd say that Bottas is doing that role on the fact that we're seeing two similar drivers uh, come along one after the other. But makes you think another Bottas, another Barrichello will come in the future. Ooh, pl- mm. Plot twist. So Sergio Perez yes, yesterday said... Um, after his win, that even if he doesn't get a seat for next year, he has good options for 2022. What if he's getting a Mercedes seat in that year? I mean, it wouldn't be that big a jump from, from, you know, pink Mercedes. Hamilton retires, replaced by Perez, alongside Russell, who replaces Bottas. Mm. Who's better, Perez or... But Perez doesn't play nice. Perez and Ocon tried to kill each other. (laughs) <laughs> you need someone who's a bit more submissive, like exactly, yeah, to be in that position. I, d- I don't know who it would be. Yeah, maybe Alonso could do it. No, Hulkenberg could do it. Yeah, I mean, to be to be fair, and Bottas are cut from the same cloth. Hulkenberg. Now there's a thought. Imagine. There we go. There we go. But at the same time, you say you say someone who you say someone who like would be prepared to be number two. I I don't expect any any F1 drivers turn up and be like. So the first day, the first day is like, oh, Toto's like, oh, so George is number one. How do you fancy being number two? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, mate, sure, yeah, absolutely, sounds good to me. Sounds Get great. A fat, yeah. Fat salary. <laughs> these these, these but, drivers are all, even Bottas. It's maybe hard to believe, but he is a fierce, competitive animal with a fire inside his belly. It may not come across, but he definitely still is that. So, fine. Okay, but it's, it has yeah, to be the willingness yeah. and the be be prepared to 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 lose and come second that's the thing and that's what separates mm. Bottas out from other drivers he can separate like the the misery sometimes on the track from the rest of his racing career he's very good at compartmentalizing each race and each race is a new challenge he does that so well you know he's like oh I know I came second last time but I think I can beat Hamilton this time and I think from lots of drivers, it would wear them down very quickly. And you end up looking like someone like Albon, who loses to Verstappen day in, day out. And all the media going, you're a bit rubbish, aren't you? You can't do this. Why Why you even in your seat? And then you get people like us going, yeah, how long till Albon's not in there? And Albon sinks and sinks and sinks. Whereas Bottas sort of rises above it, you know, throws a beige towel in their faces and, and swaggers <laughs> away. Why is everything beige? <laughs> Bottas is a beige man. Even his towels. <laughs> yeah. So now let's talk about the race winner, Sergio Perez. If you'd have told me on the first lap after he collided with Charles Leclerc and uh, spun off that he'd be winning that race, um, I'd have said you're a very crazy man indeed. Um, he went from 18th uh, and was able to go on to finish in first place after an early stop. Um, which resulted in him, in him only having to stop twice. Um, he stayed out of trouble as Mercedes self-destructed and was able to pick up all the pieces for himself. Um, we've spoken so much about how he deserves to be in a seat. The only two teams that have seats left are Red Bull and Alpha Tauri. But with Albon finishing in sixth place, 
Has Albon done enough to stave off the critics uh, after once again Sergio Perez is knocking on that door repeatedly, stating to Helmut Marco, Christian Horner and team, give me a chance because I can not only get points, but when push comes to shove and all the chips are down and everything's aligning, I can actually win a race. I mean, Albon's just, he's, it's not looking good for him, is it? I mean, that's a, a basic summary of the situation. Sergio Perez, maybe the one thing against his name was that he hadn't won a race. And that, so now having won the race uh, yesterday, he um, broke the record for the longest ever um, time before first race. It was his 190th race. Um, so, in, yeah, he's been in the sport 10 seasons. It took him that long to break his duck. But... He's now proven he can do it. I mean, I don't think there was a question about his talent. Um, and as well, uh, people who have listened to the podcast will know, I'm probably his number one fan now. Um, but like, it, the, maybe the only question mark was, could he win a race? If he was in that position, could he hold on to it? And could he, could he bring it home? And he, and he did. And he just... The fact that it was ridiculous how he was last on the first lap. And yes, through a combination of... Definitely combination of luck um, with the Mercedes self-destructing. Uh, George Russell probably would have caught him, but then got that puncture. But at the end of the day, Perez just carved through the pack. He got through, got past all the the back markers easily. He was carving through the midfield runners. Then when he got, then when he came to drivers like Albon, the McLarens, his, his own teammate, his teammate locked up, made a mistake, and Perez went past. He just did everything right. He was in the right position. And yeah, I, 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 I genuinely see no reason now why he shouldn't deserve that Red Bull seat. He's, I mean, he's proven. He's, his performance levels this year have been so high. And if Red Bull is serious about challenging for the Constructors' Championship and having a second driver in that seat hoovering up points a la Valtteri Bottas, then they have to hire Perez. This year, Albon has got 93 points compared to Verstappen's 189 points. Verstappen has retired five times compared to Albon's two retirements. I mean, despite Verstappen get, getting himself into, or ending up in situations where he's taken out or he has mechanical problems, such as on uh, yesterday's race, he's still miles ahead of Alex Albon, despite that, proving that Albon just, doesn't, just isn't cutting it in terms of being that number two driver which Red Bull need. They need to hire Sergio Perez if they are serious about challenging for the Constructors' Championship. They've just got to take a big slice of humble pie admit that their drive program on this occasion hasn't produced a suitable teammate and they've just got to go with Sergio Perez. I mean, there's there's no there's no argument now as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I seem to be bouncing back and forth every week with my opinion and I think that I perfectly sort of show whatever, what the situation is like because it's such a, it's such a weird one and it's such a difficult situation. Um, last week I was saying how strongly... Um, Christian Horner and Helmut Marco want to keep their, their their second seat driver as part of the Red Bull, you know, academy, part of the Red Bull family, and they're very very keen to do that because constantly removing drivers from their own who have, they've trained themselves and brought up to be in this seat and then remove them does not look good on them. And and as we've said, we said quite a while ago actually in one of our podcasts, they've proven themselves their academy to be probably the poorest of them all. We've seen just how incredible the Ferrari Driver Academy is right now. The Renault Driver Academy is doing well. The Williams produced that lovely drive from Jack Aitken. So 
it's that Red Bull Academy needs everything it can get to prove that they stick by their drivers and that's why they are keen to keep Albon and so that's why last week I was saying you know they could there's a chance but and I, I still think that that's what they want to do but it's whether now they have a choice because as you say unfortunately Albon is just not delivering and I think the sad thing is I think if he was gone into a different team and had, was sort of experienced a different F1 journey we could see a whole different driver at the end of it but he, he's unfortunately been drawn the short straw and been put in that seat that we know is very difficult and he has really struggled and I'm really sad to see because I, I think it could be one of those situations where he may leave I think personally if Albon were to leave the sport he wouldn't come back um, I'm sure he would have a brilliant career elsewhere he you know he almost had a seat in Formula E as we know so I think now yeah as you say they now have less of a choice and Perez honestly did so brilliantly and and I didn't realize quite how much I I, I cared for him until he 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 got that win and I, I actually felt really 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 chuffed for him and it shows like clearly he's made a good impression he, he's never really done anything to put us off like he's just a nice guy and he's so deserving and and unfortunately it, I think it might have to be the end for Albon but what I'm the point that I'm making is that if they do for some reason keep Albon that there is a reason and it's about what I was saying about the academy it would it's not just that they everyone's against Perez no one wants Perez it's far more complicated than that unfortunately but um yeah well I think it's um Christian Horner has no choice now yeah I think he doesn't have a choice either let's face it unfortunately Albon is slipping through the net and I can't see many more seats Haas has now confirmed their drivers um so and and with the Alpha Tauri seat like obviously some people think oh like you know Albon could always drop down there but um I was watching the F2 on on uh, Sunday and Yuki Tsunoda um, almost essentially confirmed that he was getting the Alpha Tauri seat um almost by accident he he was asked by I think Natalie Pinkham or, or someone um what you know can you tell us anything about next year and he went oh well I can't really tell you anything I'm not really meant to say anything it's not properly confirmed but what yeah. that's saying is it's almost if it's not properly confirmed it's in the it's, it's you know there. it's building yeah. it's what he should have said is he doesn't know but obviously like you know in in the heat of the moment and stuff like that and then on the podium not on the podium on after they did the podium for the F2 race they then did a another podium for the championship then you know as it was the end and they all went up instead of their race suits in, in shirts and smart clothes for the presentation of the championship first second and third and yuki was third and he went up and he was wearing an alpha towery shirt like not an obviously alpha towery shirt like alpha towery but like on the you know how they do fashion yeah. like, on the collar it says you know what it has their logo and he was wearing an alpha towery shirt that's just little bits it's, it's making it unfortunately mean that there's not a place there for Albon either. I just don't see it. Yeah, and that, I mean, as you say, he, the Avatar suit's really the only one left. And unfortunately, yeah. he gets thrown then into the barrel of, of drivers who need a seat and maybe are better than him, people like Hulkenberg. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I mean, I think you guys have said everything that needs to be said with Albon. Unfortunately, I think he's on his way out. It was short and sweet. And I hope that we never really see what happened to Albon happen to another driver again. In fact, it should never have happened to Albon anyway. Nearly, very nearly happened to Pierre Gasly. It's just, it's just, it's really stained the name Red Bull. Yeah, I'm very sceptical by the potential promotion of Sonoda to um, Alpha Tauri. 
First of all, because he hasn't won the F2 Championship, which I think is really important moving on to F1. You need to have that taste of success and being the best of the best to move on into the big boy league. But replacing Sonoda with someone like Kvyat, that's just bringing up the same problems, but just painting it a different colour, canning it as something else, and then shipping it off to wherever. There needs to be some stability uh, a Red Bull and Alpha Tauri. I'm not saying that the all four drivers should be kept the same, and I understand that um, Red Bull obviously want to do that because they're very proud. You know, to bring in Sergio Perez would be to admit that the Red Bull Racing Academy doesn't work and doesn't do its job, and it's not fit for purpose. But to bring Sonoda in, to bring another young driver in and just chuck him in the deep end with Alpha Tauri, a very good team, which I don't think get enough credit and go, go on then, swim. And sometimes it just doesn't work. You know, we've seen that with Albon at Red Bull, Gasly with Red Bull. Who's not to say that won't happen with Sonoda? And I think the stability is really needed throughout, which, as I was sort of putting out on the group chat, I'll be the first to admit that Daniel Kvyat is not a world-class driver compared to many others in, uh, in, in, the, in the grid at the moment. But to qualify in fifth place, to, to get that seventh place, was a good job considering the carnage that was unfolding. And I think there's a danger in terms of Formula One and the sort of ethos that goes around that if you're younger, then by default, putting a younger driver in is better. Kvyat's only 26 years old and he brings a lot of stability to Alpha Tauri. And I'd say him being in that team is a reason why they've been improving um, steadily over the last few years. Removing him, bringing another young driver in and saying, go on. Be a young, naive, uh, you know, ambitious driver is going to really sort of dent the apple cart, so to speak. I think it'd be a disastrous move um, to do that, but it's quite clear to me that either Perez, Albon, or Kvyat are going to be uh, in floods of tears by the end of the season because they won't be uh, with a team and won't have a drive. Perez deserves a drive. He's, he's shown this. He's, as we say, shown that he can not only get get points but win races. And then who loses out? If you're looking at stability, Kvyat's your man for AlphaTauri. I think what you said there just perfectly sort of sums up because at the end of the day, what Rebels do is they, if something fails, we'll try something else. We'll just go further down the conveyor and pick someone up. I would say that um, I, can't, I can't claim to be an expert because I, I haven't seen it all, but I, I, I would say that Yuki Tsunoda is, is very talented. But as you say, Kvyat has got that experience that he just won't have. And... Um, we talked. You mentioned um, about how you know it's unfair. Perez is such a good driver. I feel like it just highlights again. Once again, we we had this argument when we thought for a while that George was going to be leaving Williams. Do you remember that when we thought Perez was going to place with Williams? All of these things. It is at the end of the day really sadly about either if, who you are or what money you have. Um, and a really sad example of that. I know we said we'll speak about it properly in a few weeks, but. I just want to point out um, Callum Eilert, um, who who came second in in the championship in F two. He he came second by very a very very small margin, and at the end and in the final race, actually had a chance of winning the championship. And the, the man not only doesn't have a, a Haas seat that he was hoping to get, obviously that Nikita Mazepin got, um, he was hoping to get that seat. Not only does he not have that, but he does not have enough money to remain in Formula Two next year either. And he almost won the championship. And I just it makes me so angry, and it just shows that again what we're demonstrating when you talk about Perez not having a, having a seat, and he actually has money, which is the crazy part. It's it's so about it's so much more than the talent of the drivers, unfortunately. And and Yuki, Yuki um, 
as I say, yeah, it came lower than Callum in in the order, and he's getting a seat. Nikita Mazepin came lower than Callum in the order, and he got a seat. Um, obviously, Mick is well deserving of his, but mm, we'll see what you. I hope Yuki proves us wrong, though. I really. Oh, live that noise, eh? Mm. I, think, I think you're right though that, that Callum lot is just it's so just sad. oh it's just really irritating because of course all all motorsports drivers and competitors have money but you do expect talent to override cash especially when we're talking about teams that let's face it, you can't be a constructor in Formula 1 if you're not a you know, not a very wealthy group, an organisation. And so you would have thought that you go, well, hold on a minute, we've got this, you know, we've got this story here, let's take Kalamailov, of someone who doesn't come from immense wealth, who you know, just is so good. You know, think of the sponsorship that comes with that. Just think about the, you know, the good guy mentality and also the fact that you get this incredible talent. And it... it, it it's a bit rotten, really, that Haas went with someone like Nikita Mazepin, who, after his actions this weekend, when he tried to ram other people off the road, in my head, doesn't necessarily deserve a seat as much as someone like Callum Eilat, who keeps his head down and does really well mm. in the championship. Callum Eilat mm. and Yuki Tsunoda, I think, are the two um, most deserving Formula 2 drivers of Formula 1 and Mick Schumacher has the hype around him thanks to his name so I suppose that puts him in a unique category but someone like Nikita Mazepin one does get the feeling that his greatest asset is his money and yes I know there are some of you who are going well, haven't you seen the things about how good he is he's fine he's you know he's he has had success Mazepin he really has but in my head he's not as good as some other options and surely that must be the most important thing otherwise if it was only money we wouldn't have ever had lewis hamilton yeah it's very sad and the fact that f2 teams can look around and go do we want the vice champ almost champion slash vice champion this year nah he's not got enough like he's not even in f2 like guys it's heartbreaking i don't know i hope that we see him come back in a few years maybe if he gets you know he manages to get some sponsors or something somewhere but anyway we've gone off topic <laughs> And, and just on an end note, the fact that Haas have got Mazepin for next year, a man who's extremely wealthy and has the backing of a, a father who has Russia's biggest fertiliser company uh, to his name. What does that say about Haas's finances? I suppose I suppose we'll discuss this more uh, in future episodes, but the fact they're prioritising money clearly and transparency above talent um, raises a lot of questions. But there yeah, we the are. classic Williams mentality. Hey, never went wrong for them. <laughs> Yes, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between Haas and Williams, though. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, both of them started off with a good engine from a reliant manufacturer and being very, very close to a manufacturer. And now both of them are at the end, you know, owned by a a, a family or in Haas' case, Gene Haas. I don't know. I'm seeing some parallels there, and it's making me a little bit worried for their future. I think Ferrari going to have to deliver them a decent engine next year if they want to even. You know, look at you know, smell podiums ever. So there's one more race to go, and with the constructors' championship being finalised insofar that Mercedes have won, and Red Bull being firmly in second place, there is still the battle for third place between Racing Point, Renault, and McLaren. 
As it stands, Racing Point are in third place with 194 points, courtesy of Sergio Perez, who will soon be dumped from the team, and Lance Stroll, who is able to pick up that third place. Now, there's a 10-point gap between them and fourth place, McLaren, who are on 184 points, courtesy, uh, in many ways, the fact that they finished in fourth and tenth, while Renault, in fifth place, finished second, praise be Esteban Ocon, uh, and Ricardo in fifth. So Renault with 172 points are uh, 12 behind. One race to go at Abu Dhabi. Can Racing Point hold their nerve and get that third place? It's worth millions of pounds to them. Would undoubtedly give them the edge moving forwards. Um, what do we think? Can they hold their nerve? Or will McLaren or Renault... Steal the glory at the last moment. Yes, the battle continues to rage on. I'm trying to think when we when I did my bit a few weeks ago on the battle of the constructors for P3 and the constructors championship. Probably be a, might be able to go back and see what I said, but I think I predicted Renault to finish P3, um, which obviously based on the last couple of races is looking like a bit of a, a sore prediction. But um, but they definitely like they, they were definitely lagging behind a bit after the first Bahrain race, but they give themselves a chance at least by by that very strong result that Esteban Ocon had um, in the race yesterday. Um, also, it shows, how, it shows how crazy Formula 1 can be sometimes in that Racing Point had one car upside down and one car which was third with two laps to go and then his engine caught fire in the previous Bahrain race. And you thought, well, has that cost them third place in the championship? And then just a week later... They get a double podium and one of their drivers wins their first races ever. It's crazy how much can change in Formula 1 sometimes. But in terms of who's going to finish in that third, Racing Point got a 10-point lead over McLaren. And you'd have to say, unless a, a Racing Point car conks out, unless a Mercedes engine goes bang, then you'd have to say they are still favourites. They probably have a slight pace advantage over McLaren. Um, I'd say Science finishing fourth in that McLaren this weekend based on their qualifying performance where they were low reached the top 10 that fourth that he got was definitely punching above its weight so and also i'd say renault are too far behind realistically they'd have to overhaul 22 points a 22 point gap so they'd have to get at least fourth and fifth and then hope that the other teams uh like maybe not score or have a really bad race so if i had to put my money on it i'd say racing points um, just because just of the fact that this this latest result that they got first and third, that's 40 points, which is massive for a team such as Racing Points. So I'd have to say they would be favourites um, for that third place at the moment. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, just because just the, the gap would probably be too big for the other, to the other two teams to uh, to overcome. I think, I think your analysis is probably spot on. If Racing Point lose a car, it's all to play for. So, that and given it's Abby Dabby... It tends to be quite boring, so that might not happen. But I think, yeah, I think I think I agree. Racing Point is probably the favourites because ten points is quite a lot. Um, you, they would have to. I'm trying to think of the minimum requirements without uh, two racing points because the thing is, if one racing point even finishes in the points, then that at minimum gives them an eleven point lead over the next best. So seventh and eighth would give them exactly. 10 points so let's say it's mclaren versus um racing point if mclaren came in seventh and eighth that would give them 10 points that would make up the lead that difference but then all racing point would have to do is get one point so 
I think the reality of the situation is that we need one racing point to conk out, and then we need um, the other two McLarens to really get into the sort of top of the midfield, which is possible, definitely is possible. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be one of those things where in, in a week we'll look back at this and go, oh, weren't racing point unlucky? Who would have thought that Stroll's rear diffuser would have accidentally detached and popped all of Perez's tyres, which would have careered him back into Stroll, who's then somehow landed on his roof, or something equally as absurd, but it's Formula 1 in the silly season, so anything can happen. But, you know, as I say, it's silly season. Anything can happen. It might be Renault, but something would have to go catastrophically wrong for two teams for really Renault to be in with a shout there, I think. Yeah, um, I would agree, really. There's not much more to say, but as you say, honestly, I was saying this in the group chat the other day, I just can't quite fathom how much has happened in this one season that way we never know what could happen well honestly i i don't even want to make predictions because i have no idea but um i i would say it's looking like racing point and to be honest i'm quite pleased like if you think back what feels like 10 million years ago now before the season started but never started in melbourne and before that when they were doing testing and it was like oh it seems to be that ferrari seem a bit a bit slow and, and racing points seem a bit fast like and it was all like big like big weird confusing news that now we just accept that ferrari is slow and that racing point is a copy of the mercedes but at the time it you know it was such a shocking and in like weird news and, and at that point obviously everyone was impressed with racing points speed but who would have thought they would have been where they are in in, in the championship now and and same for ferrari unfortunately the other way around um I would have liked to see McLaren, um, you know, up there uh, as in in, the, in third, in third. But you know, they've all, they've done such a good job this year. And I think Renault have also impressed a lot because it just shows you how people viewed viewed um, Renault in the sense that at the end of the day, Ricardo has chosen to leave them for McLaren. He made that decision before the season had properly begun. Um, so he, like all of us, expected McLaren to, to be ahead, and obviously Renault have done really, really well and good for Ocon as well on the weekend. Um, but yeah, it's looking like racing point and what a weird turn of events. And I feel like as if we'd have said a few years ago, oh, you know, that team that's like fourth India, that's fourth India, like they're going to come third after the Mercedes and the Red Bull. We wouldn't really have understood that, but then we wouldn't have understood anything that's happened this season. So um, yeah, it's just been crazy, but I've loved it. Yeah, it's it's been pretty crazy to think that racing point will probably, as we're saying, get that third place ahead of Ferrari. McLaren, Renault, well-established Formula One teams with a with a great history in the sport, but fair play to them um, because regardless of the controversy that's come with their cars uh, and with their setup, they have been able to execute their chances successfully, which can't really be said on many occasions for for Renault, who I back to get that third place. They were on scintillating form not too long ago, and to an extent with McLaren as well because McLaren started so well. And unfortunately, have fizzled out slightly. And when you consider that all of these teams were on the same points level, in fact, and the fact that it's now 10 points between Racing Point uh, and McLaren and then Renault even further back, just shows you, as we say, how brutal Formula One can be if you don't take your chances. Um, but fair play, fair play to Racing Points. Um, and I'm guessing we'll see a, a similar repeat over this constructors table moving forwards next year when we consider that the cars are largely going to be the same. It'll be interesting to see what will happen with racing points after Sergio goes and Sebastian Vettel, the four-time world champion, uh, replaces him, whether that will have a adverse effect, a positive effect or 
little effect at all, but um, all questions that will be answered in the future. And also, just with that, is, um, uh, McLaren will have the uh, Mercedes engine next year, won't they? So it'll be really, ah, that midfield yes. is just going to be absolutely insane again. Like, it's this, uh, I remember an episode earlier this year, we spoke, especially when it was when. I mean, Mercedes, is, uh, I was about to say, wait, it was when Mercedes were like ruling everything, but they're still doing that. Um, but it was at a time when maybe it was a little bit more boring than it is right now. And we were saying like the real excitement is from the midfield. And I think that's going to continue to be the case um, with these engines like next year. And yeah. And so ends episode 21 of F1M Review. Thank you very much once again for listening to the end of another episode of F1M Review. In this episode, we've talked about the newbies. Uh, we've talked about, to start with, uh, Jack Aiken, who raced for Williams, who replaced uh, George Russell for one weekend only, as well as Pietro Fittipaldi, who came in for Roman Grosjean, who we understand will probably be racing in that car again come Abu Dhabi next week after it's been confirmed that Roman Grosjean um, will no longer be racing for Haas this season after, of course, his contract was cut short and his injuries have meant he's unable to do so. And we've obviously talked about George Russell, the, the main event of that chaotic um, second Bahrain Grand Prix. We thought he was going to get that podium or indeed that victory but he had to settle for ninth place after issues uh, with his tyres and the teamwork uh, of the Mercedes mechanics in the pit lane. But his first few racing points, so take the positives, lad. Take the positives. Um, secondly, we talked about Bottas going off from George Russell's scintillating performance on Saturday and Sunday. He showed that he could do it uh, on both days of the weekend. And Bottas being overtaken by George Russell twice um, only being able to get 8th place, granted there were many things out of his control that made it so much more difficult for him, but is he surplus to requirements moving forward? Are his days at Mercedes numbered? Uh, that's an interesting question that we've posed. And we've also spoken about Sergio Perez, of course, the race winner. The man who will be without a seat at the moment for 2021. He's knocking on that Red Bull and AlphaTauri door as hard as he can. The whispers have become shouts. and Alex Albon and Daniel Kvyat are quaking in their boots as to what this could mean for their futures moving forwards. And finally, we've spoken about the battle for third place. It's still ongoing, but after that racing point um, first and third, they are now in pole position to get that third place with 194 points, but it's not over. One race left, McLaren 10 points shy, and Renault 12 shy of McLaren. After last race and after this season, you just never know what could happen. Never say never, as they say. But until next time, this has been F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode, concluding with what happened at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. I have no doubt it'll be incredibly interesting incredibly dull mm. yeah. right. it heard might the sarcasm in my voice yeah, no the sarcasm, thing is it could yeah. be it could, we don't know what's going to happen I feel like every it time will we... be, it will be a stinker let's be honest it's going to be faster stop than it it will it will be it's, just, it will be. it's, the, it's the flattest track in the world There's nobody ever re- I swear no one ever retires from the race there because it doesn't put that much strain on the cars um, no no there wasn't so uh, back when there was one no, race two years ago two years ago at the beginning someone flipped 
Uh, Hulkenberg. Oh, yeah, Hul Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg that was like the that's most that's exciting thing that's ever happened in Dabby Dabby. <laughs> that's about it, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, yeah. but that, that flip is basically Bottas's moustache. One right. moment of interest. 